But how much more should it be for us who believe in God, who have accepted his son as our personal Lord and Savior, who have seen the example in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who as the Son of God, perfect in all of his ways, spent so much time in prayer with his Father. How much more so should we be diligent and vigilant about this in our own lives? Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at Colossians 4, Stand Perfect and Complete is the title that I gave this. And you'll notice that there's kind of an oddity at the beginning in verse 1. Verse 1 kind of belongs to chapter 3. Remember when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write a letter to the church of Colossians and say, chapter 1, my dear saints in Colossae. He just wrote a letter. And many years later, Stephen Langton was the Archbishop of Canterbury. In the 1200s, he went through the Bible and they had the compiled Bible, the 66 books, but there were no chapter breaks and there were no verse breaks whatsoever. So in the 1200s, Stephen Langton put the chapters in, a couple of hundred years later in the mid-16th century, Robert Stephanus added the verse numbering that we're pretty much used to today. There are a, a few Bibles out there, they're refreshing and they're changing chapters and verses, and I, I kind of hate that because I'm used to it. I know chapter 4, verse 1 should actually be chapter 3, verse 26, because it follows the context of what had just taken place, but it's hard to memorize Scripture if they start changing the addresses on you, and then you're not sure what you're memorizing. Is that the old address or the new address? Did you get a new house? Or are you talking about the old house? I want to stick with the old house, the old addresses, even though sometimes they might feel like, you know, that verse kind of belonged to the last chapter. And that's what we have here, because in the closing of chapter 3, verses 18 through 25, Paul has been speaking to the wives, to the husbands, to the children, fathers, he says as well, bondservants, and Verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters. So it all fits as he's talking about the life of the church and the various different roles that we have within the church. Of course, in Paul's day, slavery was legal. So there were many who were slaved. And Paul will mention in this very chapter 
uh, one of the slaves that he brought to faith in Jesus Christ while he was in prison, while that slave was also in prison for running away from his master. So he's talking about the life that they lived in at that time. And we take it to the 21st century. There's still a lot of wives out there, a lot of husbands, a lot of children, a lot of fathers. And maybe not, you know, in America, not supposed to have slavery, although you hear about that. You hear about the sex trade and the trafficking that's taking place here in the United States and young girls and young women being kidnapped and sometimes swept away from the states to another country. Definitely slavery is happening in other parts of the world. But in our day and age here in the states, we easily could say, you know, a slave, we could tie that into an employee, the master being the employer. Sometimes the bosses feel like they're master and lord over your life. And sometimes employees feel like they're a bit of a slave to the master. And, and so we can relate to where Paul was at with these teachings. I think he kind of combines them all together in verses 23 and 24, telling us as believers what we should do. And then a reminder to those who refuse to walk in the way of the Lord in verse 25 He says in verse 23 and 24, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus. So whatever you do, wherever you find yourself in this listing that Paul has laid out as he's closing out this letter to the church of Colossae, if you're a wife, a mother, a husband, a father, children, an employee, the employer... Whatever you do, as believers, we're to do it not to men, but as to the Lord, knowing that it's from the Lord, we're ultimately going to receive our reward. And then he gives a warning in verse 25. But he who does no wrong will be repaid for what he has done. There is no partiality. And Paul's going to pick up on that no partiality again as we go into chapter 4. He's telling us that God, when he judges, he judges in righteousness His judgment is fair and true. And so as we close out chapter 3, we find that as we put on this new person of faith in Jesus Christ, we also are to put on God's peace, his Holy Spirit, but we're to submit to love, obey, and to do all things as heartily to the Lord. And today I'd like us, as we close out the book of Colossians in chapter 4, as we are striving to stand perfect and complete, that we are to be just and fair, we're to be vigilant in life, we're to be complete in all things, and to be attentive as well. I'm going to read through the first six verses and open us in prayer. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And Father, we pray that you'd bless your word. No matter how many times we read it and we study it, Lord, 
there are always fresh truths available to those, Lord, who seek your face. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us these fresh truths this day. And perhaps, Lord, simply a reminder of how we ought to walk and to please you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So first of all, under masters, again, I I would say it belongs more with the context of the last chapter, but he does add, masters, give to your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And so the idea um, for those who owned slaves, the idea for today, if you're a boss and you run a company, that, you know, do what's right for those who are under you. Now, in their day, slaves, you owned them, literally. So they could treat them any way that they wanted to, and the law would not come against them in any way. But Paul reminds them that they're to treat their bondservants, their slaves, by doing what is just and fair, and reminds them that, hey, God is in heaven. He's watching over all things. You have a master. You have someone that you're going to be held accountable to. Man may not hold you accountable to things in life. Ultimately, God will. And so as we go through life, we're to conduct ourselves. We're to treat people with justice, with fairness as we uh, go about our way, no matter what position we have in this life. So whether a man or a woman, a child, employee or employer, we're each under first the watchful eye of the Lord. He is master over us all and therefore we are to conduct ourselves to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, to treat others justly and fairly. Thinking about God looking down and David had this in mind when he wrote in Psalm 14 too, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is anyone who understands who seeks God. God is watching over his creation. It's a truth that Paul has made evident to us throughout this little section of the wives, the children, the bondservants, the masters. I find it interesting. He left out the husbands and fathers, and I don't know why. When you get to heaven, you can ask them, why didn't you put anything about God with the husbands and fathers? But on the others, so I don't know why dads were excluded in this, but the wives, Paul said in 3.18, submit as is fitting to the Lord, so a reminder of the Lord that God is watching. In verse 20, children obey of chapter 3, for it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Chapter 3.22, bondservants obey, for you serve the Lord Christ, reminding the servants who you're actually serving In chapter 4, verse 1, masters, give what is just and fair. You have a master in heaven. And there should be this constant reminder that God is there and watching. May we apply Paul's, his encouragement to us to be just and fair in all our ways, considering that God is in heaven. We have a master in heaven who is always just and fair in all his ways. We're also to be vigilant in life. In our prayers toward others, verses 2 through 4, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So he's asking for prayer. Sometimes we like to read, a lot of books on prayer, 
and we lack spending time in prayer. And sometimes we complain, it's just, I, I just don't know how to pray very well. I struggle with it. I don't, I'm not comfortable praying with others. And, and to be honest with you, I run out of time when I'm at home and I get so busy, I just don't pray. And then we'll feel convicted of the fact of our lack of prayer or the sin of prayerlessness, as some call it. And then we'll buy books and we'll read about prayer and how we should have a prayerful life. We'll read stories about men and women of faith who God has done great things through their life because they had committed to lead a prayerful life. And we still don't pray. We read about it. We think about it. We talk about it. And we lack the actual doing of prayer. In the Believer's Bible Commentary, he said, but the best attitude for Christian is not to seek to analyze, dissect, or to understand prayer's deeper mysteries. The best approach is to keep praying in simple faith, laying aside. And I found that interesting, laying aside one's intellect and doubts. Just pray, he said. And sometimes it is an intellectual battle of prayer. Is there really a God who's listening to me, some might think. And they say that even atheists in the foxhole, they'll pray. Those who claim that there is no God, when trouble is big enough, they'll cry out, God, just in case you're there, just in case you're listening. But how much more should it be for us who believe in God, who have accepted his son as our personal Lord and Savior, who have seen the example in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who as the Son of God, perfect in all of his ways, spent so much time in prayer with his Father. How much more so should we be diligent and vigilant about this in our own lives? And so he says to continue earnestly in prayer. And that Greek word for earnest means to preserve, to be consistently diligent, to continue steadfastly in a thing. And then he says, to, he adds vigilance to it. It means to keep away, to watch, to stay alert. And I think that's one of the bigger battles. We are a lot like Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Lord says, John, why don't you just wait with me for an hour in prayer? And it's like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it today, one hour. And then five minutes later, I'm thinking, man, five minutes. <laughs> prayed through the prayer list, now what do I do? Or you begin to doze off. You know, sometimes it's a matter of, of changing things up. I found this in studies. I found it in the reading of God's Word as well. Sometimes we might struggle with a particular book we're reading, and yet perhaps you want to get through it. You're required to get through it. Maybe it's a book that we're doing for church in the women's breakfast or guys' breakfast. Right now we're not currently going through a book. But I've discovered sometimes just switch things up, you know, uh, refresh, read something. And if you're in prayer and you find yourself dragging a little bit, open the Bible, read a little bit of God's word. And perhaps the reading of his word will get you into the prayer and give you things that you should pray while you're reading. If you're studying a book and you're kind of having a hard time getting through the chapter, grab another book and start reading from that book and at least to stay earnest with it, to be steadfast with the thing, and to be vigilant, to keep awake, to watch spiritual alertness. Maybe it, you just need to get a, you know, a coffee with double shot in there just to help you pray and to pray very fastly when you do. If 
to get ramped up on the caffeine. But Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 26 to watch and pray, verses 40 and 41. And then he said, lest you enter into temptation. Indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there is this battle, but it's a good battle to fight in. I've had shoulder surgery in each of my shoulders, and I have a problem with my left shoulder again, and I'm in physical therapy. And and the therapist said, I'm trying to build up some muscles in your shoulder that should help you because my bone's not grooving right any longer, and it's kind of ripping up the rotator cuff there. She said, I'm trying to build up muscles that are about the size of your pinky. You know, sometimes we think about lifting weights, and in my mind, I want to measure my biceps and how big they are, and now I'm trying to measure a muscle the size of my pinky, but if I can get this pinky-sized muscle to do its job in my shoulder, it might alleviate a lot of pain that I've been struggling with in the shoulder. And I, I think sometimes it's that doing diligence, if we just build up, if we're weak in an area, build it up and become strong. Take the discipline that is required. First Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I like what Ian Bounds said in his book, Power Through Prayer. This is one of the books I've recently been reading on prayer. He said, what the church needs today, and this guy was writing from the 1800s, so just give him a break on some of his references that he makes. It's still the same truth. He says, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or novel methods. She needs men, and again, 1800s, they like to use the word men a lot, and we can add women, think women when I say men, men and women. She needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but through men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men, and I'll add women as well, of prayer. And we are to pray, and, and Paul breaks it down. I think we're to pray with thanksgiving, we're to pray for others, we're to seek the prayer of others, and also to pray for open doors. And so we're to, first of all, pray with thanksgiving. And Paul's had a lot to say about having a thankful heart in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 3. He said, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of the light. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Chapter 3, verse 15, he said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you've also been called in one body and be thankful. Chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And so we're to be a thankful people. And as believers in the 21st century, we're to be earnest and vigilant in our prayer, but also with thanksgiving and just saying thanks. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Secondly, we're to pray for others and to seek the prayers of others. In your notes, I didn't have this 
I don't believe I added it. We're to seek the prayers of others. And this is what Paul is doing here in the passage. He's asking for their prayers. He tells them, continue earnestly in prayer, be vigilant with thanksgiving. And then verse 3, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for his word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul was in prison probably around three, maybe up to four years when he wrote this letter. But we know that he wrote it from Rome. We know he's already spent two years in prison down in Jerusalem and they transferred him to Rome. There was a shipwreck. He was three months on an island of Malta by the time he got there. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And of course, he's asking for prayer. But look what he's asking. He's asking for prayer that they could be a witness and a testimony in their situation, where they were at at that time. We know Paul will mention in this chapter Onesimus, who was a runaway slave that got captured, imprisoned, and while in prison, Paul led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's in prison, and he said, pray that God would give us an open door. But he was asking for prayer for others. And I think this really popped at me over the last couple of days. A lot of times it's easy for us to pray for others and people will say, you know, I have this prayer request. Can you pray for me? Sure, I can pray for you. But I think sometimes, and maybe it's an issue of pride, sometimes we need to be requesting the prayers of others as well. Paul did. He reminded them, pray, be vigilant, but pray for us also. And this is what I'd have you to pray for us. He gave them specific requests. James, over in Israel, he's fighting the battle to stay in Israel. He's been there for 15 years, but he emailed me a few months ago. And at the end of the email, he said, by the way, I pray for you, for Lily, for Johnny, for CCLV every night in my prayers. And then he said, if you let me know what your need is, Kind of like, I'll know better how to pray for you. Just let me know. And I'm praying for you anyways. Give me some detail and I can pray with a little more detail. Now, how cool is that? To have someone, he sent a picture yesterday overlooking Jerusalem where he prays and the city at night. And you can just see all the lights of Jerusalem. How cool is that to have someone praying for this church in Jerusalem, looking over such the holy place that God has put his name forever and lifting up the name of this fellowship, and some of us by name. And he says, by the way, if you let me know how I could pray, I'll, I'll pray for you. He also said that he's dealing with glaucoma, and he's had a really bad week. Keep him in your prayers. I'm letting you know how you can pray. He's struggling. He had to take some powerful antibiotics to even get his sight back. And so when he took the picture over Jerusalem that he said, here's my prayer spot, he hadn't been able to for a week to get out there because he'd been struggling so hard with his eyes at the time. And uh, so Paul sought the prayer of others. He did this often in Romans 15, 30. He said, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in prayer to God for me. He was writing this to a people that he hadn't even met yet. And he's saying, I'm begging you in the name of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, strive with me with these things. 
the church of Thessalonica, he knew these believers. He brought them to faith. He was instrumental in their coming to faith. And yet he said, brethren, pray for us in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. And as believers in the 21st century, we should be other-centered people, you know, praying for others, but also seeking the prayers of others. We're to pray for open doors. I find it interesting. I, I thought in the first century, you know, the church is saying, God opened doors for us to preach the gospel. How much more should we be praying in the 21st century? God opened the doors that we can proclaim and speak the mysteries of Christ, especially in a day and age that's saying, hey, you guys got to stop talking about that Jesus. So who should we be asking to open the doors of ministry for us? It should be the Lord. He's the one who opens. He's the one who closes. So we're to be those who are to be earnest, vigilant, in our prayers, praying with thanksgiving, praying for others, seeking the prayer of others, and praying for open doors. Father, thank you for your word, and for this time in your word this morning. Bless it, Lord, always, the teaching of your word to our souls. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let God